Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. And again today, it's a playoff edition of the PBT podcast where we're going to go over, we're deep into the playoffs, we're getting to the fun series, and joining me to break down all things playoffs is uh, Dan Feldman from here at NBC Sports. How's it going, Dan? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, let's start with the three game sixes taking place on Friday night. I think the team that's most likely to force a game seven is Indiana. This is a team that probably should feel, certainly feels they should have, probably should have won game six um, or game five and be home looking to close this thing out. Instead, they're looking to extend it. They're a team that not only could win game six, I think they're the one team with a real shot at the series. Well, I think the Heat. And really, I guess, in in a long sense, the Clippers also have a shot at the series, but I agree with you that they have the best chance, uh, you know, especially in the Game 6. They're the only team uh, who's trailing, who's playing at home, so that's a pretty big advantage. And the Raptors are, seem still so far in their heads about about losing in the first round the last two years as the higher seed. You know, they dropped this one. You get them back in a Game 7. They lost a Game 7 at home to the Nets two years ago. You know, I, I'm not convinced this team doesn't play completely freaked out in that one. No, exactly. And they are 0-3 and, and very conscious of the fact they're 0-3 in, in, you know, recent closeout games. It really does come down to, for Indiana, they've got to get some production when you, you can't play Paul George 48 minutes, even though Frank Vogel is threatening to. You've got to rest him five, six minutes a game. they got to get some production for those few minutes. He's, they were minus 18 without him in the game. You know, for for six fifty five last game, you can reduce that a little, but basically somebody's just got to step up and make some plays. Well, one, I don't know if you can't play him forty eight minutes. He's he's saying he's up for it, and he might be. I mean, he's a heck of an athlete. The way he plays, you know, I if there's somebody who could do it, you know, I might take a chance on him doing it. Uh, but absent that, you've got to change who's playing when he sits. Yes. In the last game, Monty Ellis didn't play at all when he sat. Uh, George Hill didn't play at all when he sat, and those are two guys. Miles you know, Turner. If you're running your offense through them, your upside's probably like a 30-win team. Some maybe. Well, I guess your upside's higher than that, but you're look. You know, you're going to be winning in the 30s. It's not that impressive, but for the Pacers to spend five minutes a game playing like a 30, 35 minute, 
35, 35 win team, that'd be a huge upgrade because they're playing like one of the worst teams ever when Paul George sits. Exactly. They, they, it was kind of strange when you looked back at it. Miles Turner sat at the start of that too. He's been good for them. They have to keep uh, the rotation a little bit separated. I get that Frank Vogel's trusted his bench, and some guys, Budenholzer did this last year. Some coaches seem a little slow to kind of really sharpen up their rotations come the playoffs, and I don't, look, you can't do that. You, you, your, your margins for errors go way down. You've got to keep a score. You, look, when Paul George sits, you don't expect to be in the plus. You just don't expect to be like minus 18. You've just got to keep somebody on the, on the floor who can put up a few points in that window and keep things respectable. I completely agree. I don't understand why coaches are, are so slow to to tighten the rotation. I know you're used to playing certain guys and you know you want to ride what got you a little bit, but you play your best players. That's how you win. And in the playoffs you have the luxury of, of never having back to backs and you know, there, there's so much more room to tighten your rotation. You have to do it. It is, we should say. I, I think it is possible Toronto gets going. The other thing that's really interesting in the series, and it's been now beyond the series, is Kyle Lowry. Is he just seems to get tight in the? I don't. I, I hate to say that about a guy, but you know, I'd like to think it's a small sample size or something. But it's been a few seasons now. Consistently, he is just against better defenses. When it gets tight in the playoffs, he isn't able to produce the same way, and that's really hurting their offense. Well, you know, it's a small sample too. They've only played, you know. What, so seven games, four games, and a, another five games. And all, you know, this year he's going against George Hill. Last year uh, it was John Wall. You know, these are good defenders. It's not, it's not the easiest matchup. He's only gotten better as a player. His, his struggles this year have been, have been tough. I mean, it's, it's disappointing after such a great regular season. Uh, but I don't think there's something about his game necessarily that just he can't handle the playoffs or anything like that. He's just. He's happened to have a few games before, and now he's going against uh, an excellent point guard defender. Yeah, but I, I still think if if he's your lead guy, if he's the guy your offense is going to lean on, he can't. You're going to see guys score a little less in the playoffs because the defense can focus on them. But he's still got to generate shots for others. He's still got to do some stuff, and I'm not sure that he's done that enough in this series. You know, um, you could say that that falls to DeMar DeRozan a little bit, who's been up and down, and some of the other guys on that team. But at the end of the day, Kyle Lowry's got to make some things happen. That Look, I get that they're gearing, they're trapping, they're coming at him, they're throwing a whole lot of looks at him, they, they're throwing good, you know, like you said, good defensive point guards at him. He's still got to find a way to have some runs and some points. If somebody else is going to win tonight, I look, I don't think it's going to be the Clippers in Portland. Could it be Miami and Charlotte? I mean, that's obviously been a fairly even series right down to the last game, which, you know, came right down to the end and the uh, questionable call on Dwayne Wade. But Miami has got to find, since the Charlotte started packing the paint on them, and they did that a, a little bit in the first game, but when they had to really take Batum out, went bigger, really packed the paint the last three games, Miami's got to find a way to get some points from outside the paint right now. They're, they're, their outside shooting has been atrocious. Right, everybody paid so much attention to how well Miami was shooting from the outside to start. But that was only because Hassan Whiteside and, and Dwayne Wade ended up playing a little bit. They were so dominant inside and such a threat that it threw everything off for the Hornets. And, and you know, just sent them scrambling. Now the Hornets have settled in a little bit, taking away the, the paint first. And, you know, getting a little bigger in their starting lineup after Nicholas Batum got hurt. And, you know, now they're, they're sort of settling into what, what they want to do. And, you know, the Heat have some decent open looks from outside, but, 
but they're not against a completely scrambled defense like in the first two games. No, they aren't, and, and they're not dealing well with those contests. For the record, from the mid-range, we're just talking outside the key to the arc, just to be to be broad about it. In the last three games, the Heat are shooting 28.8%. Uh, they are not consistent from anywhere, really, from three. Uh, they've been better from the corners a little bit, but or at least the right corner, but they're, they're not knocking down their threes at a rate that makes you run out and cover them. And that was an issue going into the season, I mean, or going into the playoffs. This is not a team loaded with great shooters. They were counting on penetration to kind of open things up and, and ball movement and transition. Uh, Charlotte has done a good job of shutting them down in transition, taking away those easy buckets and making them find it in the half court. Right. You know, a lot of the, the good looks the Heat generator because they're a fairly fast team. Uh, they, you know, especially offensively, they move well. They, they generate some turnovers. But when, when the Hornets have sort of packed the paint and been a little more stationary, to a certain degree, they're allowing the Heat to, to move around. They just don't care quite so much about all that movement. Yeah, exactly. And and it's, and it's and it has worked. It has laid out a, bl- a blueprint. Um, Miami's capable of winning this game, certainly. Um, but they're going to have to, to get some stops. That said, I don't know that their defense has been atrocious. Kimball Walker's gotten in the paint a little. Uh, Jeremy Lin's had some nice games. But I don't know that Miami's defense has been terrible. They, they've just struggled to put enough points up to kind of keep up. Right, yeah. I, I definitely think this has turned into the defensive series that we both thought it would be beforehand. It definitely yeah. wasn't a start. I think this is both what we both expected a little more. And Yeah, like you said, when, when it gets tight, when they're playing a half-court game and, and it allows the defenses to set – when Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lin can get into the paint, it's not always the prettiest thing, uh, but that's effective enough in this series. Exactly. They don't, they don't need it to be pretty. I I got a feeling Charlotte's going to be able to close it out at home, and Michael Jordan will get a playoff win uh, as an owner. He had a couple as a player, as I remember. Uh, but he'll get one now as an owner, uh, and they, they will advance. The other series tonight, the third game, I, look, I was at this last game in Los Angeles. I don't see the Clippers winning against Portland in Portland. They they did, I think, everything they could. They really played pretty good defense. They got a little bit of offensive bounce, um, at least enough in the first few, three quarters, but they can't sustain that without Chris. I mean, Chris Paul's, where they're hurt, really, with Chris Paul is as much as they're hurt by what he does offensively, he did a really good job on Lillard in this series. Um, they were obviously, they're trapping, they're throwing everything they can at Lillard. They were daring, like, you know, Aminu to beat them. But now... Not only is Aminu getting some looks and, and knock down some shots, but Lillard's still going to get free against um, a physically and, and, and by the end of the game mentally tired Austin Rivers who's not up against that. Plus, if you're starting Jamal Crawford, you're, you're opening yourself up to some defensive issues. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, on the simplest level, you know, once once you lose Chris Ball, once you lose Blake Griffin, the Trailblazers are the better team. Yeah. I mean, the Clippers just aren't that good without their two best players. That's not shocking. And really the best thing the Clippers had going for them was they had two out of three at home. They already dropped one at home, and you know it's going to take a fairly big upset. You know, just a, a team that's not as good outplaying a better team at the better team's home arena. Like, yeah, that happens sometimes, less often in the playoffs, but that's what it's going to take. I mean, that's a, a pretty tall task. The, the two other things from this series. The one thing we haven't talked about, and I, and doesn't get talked about enough. JJ Reddick's heel is bothering him, and he's not moving the same. And they are, even when they have. Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, but especially without them, they need him in the half court. He is so vital to what they do. And, you know, they run him off picks, they pin downs and curls and staggers and everything they've got, trying to free him up and 
paying attention to him is what creates some part of what creates some space within their half court offense. One of the things they really rely on, he's not moving as well. He can be exploited a little defensively and he's not getting the same separation and some of those shots are contested. It's been an issue. Um, the other thing is, hey, Mason Plumley's played well. <laughs> he is he is he has been a nice, you know, poor man's Draymond for the sort of the way they're using him as a if you're going to trap, we're going to get the ball to our big man and let him distribute, and he's done a good job with it. Well, the other issue with Redick is that, you know, who's delivering him those passes if, if he could zip open and run around the court and get open? I mean, you know, those usually come from Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and they're not there. And, yeah. you know, as good as Redick is, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. A lot of his, his success is reliant on fitting in a system where there's where there are good passers. And, you know, Blake Griffin's one of the best passing big men. Chris Paul's one of the best passing point guards. And without them, that neutralizes a lot of his value. As far as Mason Plumlee, yeah, absolutely. He's He's been very good. And, you know, I, I just think the, the Trailblazers have too many of those good pieces for the Clippers to overcome it. I agree. I think that, that, that they move on to what becomes, let's assume they win, then it becomes the Trailblazers at Golden State without Steph Curry right now. Would would you say that the Warriors have a chance? I mean, I think the Warriors are still the better team, even without Curry. I think they have a 60, 65% chance of winning this. I'm not wholly sold on what Portland does without without him. But I think Portland's got a chance to make this an interesting series until Curry returns. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'd go slightly higher, 65 to 70, but I mean, we're just, you know... <laughs> That's just nitpicking. Yeah, I think the the Warriors are the better team, regardless. And then you know you have to figure about halfway through the series, especially if they get to the point where they need him. You got to think it's got to be Curry time. Yeah, exactly. I I think. Well, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? And honestly, I think for four. I mean, obviously, I could come up with magical worst case scenarios, but the most likely worst case scenario for Golden State is it's two two after four. That, that they really can't, you know, they lose, let's say they lose both in Portland. Well, then you bring Curry back for game five, and it's over. Like, And then they win the series and they advance. So I don't think they're in that much trouble. And I think, honestly, they looked, I mean, it's really, part of it is it's really tough to judge with what they did against Houston because Houston is a mess. Well, I, you know, I, I could see this being 3-1 uh, if Curry's not playing. I, I mean, I... I don't think that would shock me one bit. Uh, you know, one game the the Warriors come out a little rusty with a longer break, and and you know they lose game one, they win game two, they drop a couple in Portland. You know, I I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I you know I would not be surprised at all. Uh, I think the biggest thing the Warriors have going in their favor, as much as they like to play up tempo, as much as they like to play fast and and loose. They can make it a, a grinded out game. They're so versatile, and they you know they can grind out these games against Portland. They can change their style in, in a way that fits this this group of guys who are left without Curry. Yeah, exactly. And 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 we don't really know with Curry how long he's going to be out. But the, but you're right. The versatility allows them to adjust to what's going to work, and they still bring some good defenders, which you, you're going to need, particularly in the backcourt against against Portland, who generates. Almost all their offense from from Lillard and McCollum, and they're going to get some of theirs. But if you've got Sean Livingston, who's long back there, and you've got Iguodala, who you can throw on one of them off the bench, and you've got Clay Thompson, who's good a good defender, you can 
Look, and they're going to steal a little bit out of that Clipper playbook. They'll trap. They're going to, look, take their ball out of their hands. If Alfred, you know, look, if Alfred Okamino drops 30 on you like he did on the Clippers that one game, you kind of got to live with that. Like, that that's, you know, for the Clippers in particular, you're going to have to give up something. I think you've got a better d- defensive team in Golden State that can challenge him a little bit. But at the end of the day, if that's the shot that beats you, you kind of shrug and tip your cap. Right, and that's what's a little scary for for the Warriors is, you you know, the Trailblazers' offense is so good, you might have to give them something that, that'll, you know, where maybe they could beat you. Whereas if you had Curry, your offense should be so explosive uh, that it, it would take a near miracle for the Trailblazers to keep up. That's not going to be the case. They're going to give up something. The Warriors aren't going to score as much as they would with Curry. And you know, even though we agree the Warriors are the better team, that leaves something on the table for Portland. Yeah, no, I don't think this is a complete. Like, I don't think this is. It would be completely out of the question. Like I said, I I still have the Warriors. Even if they played this entire series without Curry, it you know sixty sixty five percent chance to win it. I still like their balance and their versatility and their there's their overall play a little bit better. But they're not that far ahead of Portland without him. And Portland's you know look, Portland's been proving everybody wrong all season. We we had them as you know fourteenth or fifteenth in the conference going into this. And here they are about to advance to the second round. Terry Stotts is, as you know, going to be, well, was right up there for coach of the year and deserved to be right up there for coach of the year. He's done as good a job as anybody this year. Um, he's going to do well in the playoffs. And they've got a few nice pieces too. Like I said, they've got a little versatility, just not as much as Golden State. And, and this is the, the advantage for the Warriors of, of getting the top seed and playing hard throughout the regular season. Yeah, they... They added a few extra on top of it more than they needed to clinch the number one seed. But of all the teams left in the Western Conference, uh, the Clippers and Blazers, even without the Chris Paul and Blake Griffin injuries, although the Clippers would be favored if those two were healthy, you know, the Clippers and Blazers, those are you want to play one of those two teams. You don't want to play the Spurs. You don't want to play yeah. the Thunder. And so this is your advantage. You get the number one seed. It gives you a better chance of surviving if your best player gets hurt for a series or so. Yep, Exactly. Well, let's talk about, there are two, two conference final series set, one in each conference, and we'll talk about those. Uh, the, we'll save the West for a little bit. That is like the series we're all looking forward to, Oklahoma City and, and uh, San Antonio. It, it will be one of the best series of the playoffs. Let's talk a little bit about the Hawks versus Cavaliers, which is set to tip off on Monday. That's interesting. I, look, last year, four-game sweep, I, we thought the Hawks would do better. They just got... The floor wiped with them by the Cavaliers. I think this year, look, I'm going to pick Cleveland, but I think that this year it's not a sweep. I think that this is a little bit tighter series. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the Hawks were better throughout the season on the whole last year than this year, uh, but they were really struggling to the finish last year. This year they're playing so much better at this point, probably than they were even at their peak last year. Their defense against the Celtics was just amazing. The way they rotated, their length, their athleticism, their aggressiveness. They didn't take chances, but they still got a ton of steals. I mean, their defense was awesome. And now LeBron and Kevin Love and Kyrie, it's going to be a much bigger test. Uh, But it's it's a test I'm looking forward to. Exactly. By the way, the other thing that's nice about this series compared to last year is last year Kevin Love was out um, and Kyrie Irving was hobbled. But on the other side, forget, Thabo Cephalosha was out thanks to the NYPD. Paul Millsap had the shoulder injury. Kyle Korver was lost to an ankle injury in Game 2 of that series. So neither team was healthy. Both teams are healthier this year, which I think will make it a more entertaining series. But I think the defensive point is right. Look, 
they struggled even this season against LeBron James. The Cavs swept them last season, swept the regular season series, which sometimes I don't read too much into, but that's now seven straight. LeBron had his way with them. They're going to have to find a way to slow him. That's where they will miss Damari Carroll. Um, That said, look, their rim protection has been phenomenal. They have forced teams into more of what they want them to shoot. And the other thing is they've been taking, look, the Hawks don't shoot the mid-range. They get their shots inside or they get threes. They're patient. They pick their spots. I think this is a more mature Hawks team. I don't think they win the series, but I I see this thing going uh, six games. So one thing that really impressed me that the Hawks did against the Celtics, you know, coached by Brad Stevens, a little bit more creative offensively. I mean, they just moved on a string. They rotated so well. I wonder if the Cavs are going to give them some problems by simplifying things. You know, isolate LeBron, isolate Kyrie. And, you know, if the Hawks send help, just one quick pass to to J.R. Smith or or Kevin Love. I mean, there's – I think the the Cavs, as much as everybody hates isolation basketball, if the Cavs – isolate a little bit uh, that that could be a challenge for the Hawks Thabasavolosha a very good defender but there's a difference between being a very good defender and also being able to stop LeBron when when they isolate yeah you know I've seen and it's not just them we've seen more isolation I think in this playoffs run from teams it's one of the things Terry Stotts has used to to deal with the Clippers and it's happened in a couple other series too but that was the one where it's most obvious where you know the Clippers were just trapping McCollum or Lillard every time they, let alone every pick, like every time they touched the ball, if they could, they, they'd go up and trap him. So they started running ISO sets. Like, all right, trap this. Like, you're going to have to rotate. We're, we're going to take this away. And that has had some success. Um, the Clippers have the advantage of, of, you know, DeAndre Jordan in the paint to, to, to create some challenges, but it has gotten them some looks. I think that's a really smart play. I think there's, there's, there's room for isolation, certainly, as long as you just don't go, you know, Mike Woodson with the Hawks on it. Yeah, I think isolation gets a bad rap sometimes. I mean, it's, it's a, if you have the more talented player, sometimes it's a good way to to get a, a good shot. You're, you're lowering your ceiling for getting a great shot. But you can get a, a lot of times you can get a good or an, even an okay shot with way less of a risk of a turnover that you get by trying to pass the ball around. Yeah, agreed. Um, though... Then we'll move on quickly over to the big series of the next round. San Antonio and Oklahoma City is, I think, look, I'm picking San Antonio in seven, but I think this is a series that's going to go a long way, and it creates some really interesting matchups and challenges on, on both sides. Uh, starting with, like, we'll, we'll start with the obvious one. Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant for seven games is just going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean that that's going to be awesome. I, you know, you got two guys who are who could finish anywhere two to six in MVP voting. They probably they should definitely finish two to five. Although, hey, I wonder how many voters are going to bump Chris Paul up a slight peg higher than he belongs. But especially when the Thunder have the ball, Durant one of the best offensive players in the game. Kawhi Leonard probably the best defensive player in the in the game. And it'll be good on the other end too. I think. Leonard doesn't get enough credit for what he does offensively. Durant probably doesn't get enough credit for what he does defensively. On both ends, these guys going head-to-head, I can't wait. Yeah, I, what do you see as the differences in the series? I think I think there's a couple things that stand out for me. Oklahoma City has had some good defensive plays. They've been solid defensively, but mostly because kind of I think their length and athleticism covers up some of their flaws that I think the precision of 
the passing and the cutting and the smart play of San Antonio can expose, especially over the course of a series, they'll find ways to really get at Ennis Cantor. Uh, they'll find ways to kind of just pick apart the occasionally slow rotations. You know, uh, you've got somebody who can lure Ibaka out of the paint in in um, LaMarcus Aldridge. So I think you can cause them some real trouble and open some stuff up inside. The Spurs are so good at, at hammering another team's deficiency. And, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook's often inattentiveness on defense, as good as his defensive potential is, I think the Spurs are going to try and exploit that. Like you said, whenever Ennis Cantor's on the floor, I think they're going to attack him. I think it's going to be enough of an edge. But the Thunder have given the Spurs a lot of trouble yes. in recent years because they're so athletic. And and I think a lot of this could de- depend on Serge Ibaka, who, who looked old throughout the most of the regular season, and he might just be in Dwight Howard mode now, where he saves it all through the playoffs because he looks a lot more athletic against the Mavericks. Yeah, I think the two of the key players, one of the key, on each team, one is is Serge Ibaka, who's got to keep playing at that kind of up level. And I've said this from going way back: the, the weak link for San Antonio in their starting five is Tony Parker at this point. He's they are going to go at him. Look, he's not. He's going to get time on Russell Westbrook, but probably not a lot. You're going to see mostly Danny Green. But they will try to create switches. They will try to go after him. And the flip side of that is. Nobody used. I mean, a couple of years ago, you used to kind of fear him in the mid range, coming off the curls, making those little spaces, those little floaters into space. He's not quite as efficient, and that he's got to be because that's kind of the shots I think Oklahoma City's willing to live with. I'm, I think they're going to make Tony Parker beat them. So one of the reasons I'm also picking this person seven, I just think the Thunder give too many opportunities to hide somebody. You know, I think you can hide Tony Parker on Andre Robertson enough. I, you know especially in crunch time, whether it's Dion Waiters in there, uh, even at the center position, the if it's Steven Adams, the Thunder, especially late, they just don't go to those guys. Uh, so I, I think the Spurs can get their top offensive players in the game uh, and leave leave the, the Thunder with no ability to hide somebody. Not that the Thunder quite need it as much, uh, but the Spurs can, can hide the guys they need to hide. They can hide Boris D out a little bit. They can, yeah. they can hide Parker a little bit. I, I just trust the Spurs bench also a little bit more to come in and execute, although Weeders, by the way, played well last series. If he has a good series, that's a uh, that's a huge advantage for Oklahoma City. He he, he looked good against Dallas. Um, we'll see if he can sustain it. This is obviously a, a higher level, but um, this is going to be one fun series. By the way, I expect the one thing I also expect out of this series, Westbrook to put up monster numbers. The, Danny Green's good. They will help with Aldridge and Duncan. All that said, you you know, as much as Durant's going to struggle, I don't know how much struggle. I mean, Durant will get his, but Kawhi Leonard will probably be able to make him less efficient. I think you're going to see monster numbers from Westbrook in this series. I'm with you. For, for all the reasons you just said, I, you know, I think he's one of their big advantages. I think a lot of it could swing on, could they also get big numbers from Serge Ibaka? Yeah. And, and, and to have both those guys, and there's going to be more pressure on Westbrook offensively and more on Ibaka defensively, but both those guys to put their athleticism to good use on both ends and, and really stretch the, the Spurs around the court. Agreed. I, 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 don't, I think this is a series Oklahoma City can win. They will be certainly playing with the desperation of we got to impress Kevin Durant. I, I think that that could matter. Um but at the end of the day, I just over the course of this season, just watching these teams, the, the relentless efficiency of the Spurs just 
it wears teams down. That Popovich guy is a pretty good coach. He's done all right. And I think <laughs> over time, they're going to, like you said, there are places you can hide players. There are weaknesses you can exploit and more of them with Oklahoma City. And they've got both the the coach who knows how to draw that up and set it up and the players who know how to take advantage of those things and just, hey, there's the weakness. We are going to hammer your weakness. There, There is no mercy. There is no let up. That, that will eventually get to this get to the thunder but that said if you get to a seventh game like we're both predicting hey anything can happen in a seventh game you can have the monster you know durant can't miss game yeah anything can happen but it'd be in san antonio home teams i mean have a pretty strong record in game sevens that is true that is true either way we're looking forward to it it's it's going to be a fun playoffs uh, anything to completely surprise you so far anything that's really caught you off guard through these playoffs uh, you know, I've, I've just been so impressed with how the Hawks have played. I, after last year, the way they sort of slumped in the playoffs, I thought maybe they were getting a little too much credit for their strong end of the regular season. Uh, but they look legitimate, and I know the challenge is going to change, and I don't think they're going to beat the Cavs. But I, I was very impressed with how they played against the Celtics. Well, down the stretch, I think they were the second-best team in the East because the, the Raptors were kind of coasting in, and I've never fully bought into the Heat. And... Um, you know, I, I just wasn't I, – I like the way they played down the stretch. I liked their defense. Like you said, unfortunately now as the four seed, they get Cleveland in the 4-5 the spot. Then now they get Cleveland in that first round and – or second round. And ultimately I just think that's – I in the East, the baseline of Cleveland, the Cleveland's not playing all that great. And when they're not playing all that great, they're still this good. Is so much better than everybody else's. That you need much, you know, a much higher level from the Hawks or anybody else to reach that baseline. Let alone the games where Cleveland actually plays well. See, I, I don't think the gap between the Cavs and the rest of the East is as high as most people. I, I think there was a bigger gap between the Cavs and the rest of the East last year, and that the Cavs could get pushed in in every series. I mean, even in a sweep. The Pistons were reasonably competitive, and they were the only the eighth seed. I think I don't think the Hawks will win, uh, but I think they could push them. Whoever they play in the conference finals, I, I'd still pick the Cavs. Uh, but I I think these teams could push them. And between it all, I'm I do think Cleveland will win the East. I'm just not quite as convinced as everybody else. Cool. Well, it's going to be a fun second round of the playoffs, and Boston fans can start looking forward to next year when. Uh, according to them, they will have Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins in-house with everybody else, and they'll win the East, right? Uh... <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> By the way, Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins on the same team would be pretty entertaining now that I think about it. I'd watch. Yeah, <laughs> I'd want to be in that locker room occasionally just to enjoy that tension. But, all right, maybe maybe that doesn't happen, and, may, and maybe it'll be a... It's going to be an interesting offseason when we get there anyway, but... Uh, w- We've still got some playoffs to get through before we have to talk free agency. So, Dan, thanks for joining me. And we'll be back next week with more uh, NBA talk through, um, across the league on the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.